This is the Influencers Network podcast. I'm Brian Craig. I'm Executive Director for Influencers Global Ministries. And uh, this is part two of an interview with uh, Pete McKenzie. Uh, he's on staff with us out in Southern Cal where he's leading lots of men. And uh, and they have these large gatherings of men. And uh, and they uh, guide men through the journey. And, and there's just been a great, great move out in Southern California that's swept all the way up up uh, up the coast of California. So, so Pete, welcome back. Yeah, good to be here. We uh, on our last podcast, we got to hear a little of your history with Rocky and 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 some of the things that that formed uh, the theology of of the journey that you and Rocky both uh, were exposed to a lot of different things. And uh, you watched Rocky flesh out things God was putting on his heart, and and then you've had your own journey with discipleship and and knowing men. Really, really, you've had a calling to men and and what makes men tick and who they are. And so you you've had a great. Uh, influence on a lot of men and got to see how men work and so I want to talk today Pete about last year what happened with with uh, Susan and uh, going through the brain tumor and all that and I and would you and, and you know you and I've talked that it was a horrible thing uh, and a very big trial but you see God using it already you know and, and giving you a message to tell men because there's men are going to face a lot of trials out there and we actually even in the journey we talk about trials being the way to prove that God is real, you know, and you can have all this theology, but until you go through a trial, do you really know it's real or is it just, just a, a concept? Right. And so, uh, so go back as far as you want of kind of, you know, maybe it was about a year ago today or this week that you first find out about the brain tumor, right? Yeah. This time a year ago, um, what's today, February the 7th or 8th, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Um, Susan had been having some problems starting back in December a year ago um, with confusion and um, memory loss. And so it was starting to get very frustrating. And um, she'd been on a trip to Scotland with, uh, in January uh, to see our kids over there. My son's a pastor in Glasgow, Scotland, and has three children and his wife, and they live there. And so she had been on a trip over there, and she called me from over there, and she was very upset and and struggling with this confusion and memory stuff. And so she came home and kept having the problem. So about this time last year, we called our doctor and said, we need to come in and talk to you about it. And so he ordered an MRI. The MRI was actually on Valentine's Day last year. Um, And that afternoon, he called and said, "Uh, you guys could you come into the office and I didn't get that message till too late in the day and so we went the next morning and um and the doctor just came into the room and without any small talk or anything he said Susan you have a brain tumor now I wasn't prepared for that I'll be honest with you I thought he was he might come in and say well you got the early stages Alzheimer dementia or whatever but this whole brain tumor thing, I mean, that that was just knocked us off our chairs. And I have to admit, I was in shock there. And so we left his office that day and and um, in shock and um, but had to start a, a journey um, at that point of going to see oncologists and doctors and try to figure out how to um, how we handle this and and what the prognosis is on it and 
Um, Susan had had breast cancer back in 2014, and um, she um, it was very small. They they got it all. It was but it was a very aggressive cancer. Um, she elected not to have chemo because they said it's not in the lymph nodes. It's very small. The surgeon said she got it all, and uh, so she had radiation but not chemo. Uh, as it turns out, this cancer had spread, and this is the way I'm told and have learned that cancer spreads, especially from breast cancer like that, to the lungs and goes up. And so brain cancer and brain tumors are not unusual. Um, her, her tumor was embedded in the middle of her skull, so that was not as easy as um, to remove um, without some major damage you know to the brain is is if it'd been closer to the skull and it was a very aggressive cancer uh, we had a friend who has a friend uh, at MD Anderson number one leading cancer hospital in the world in Houston and so uh, she was able to have uh, Dr. Zawaya out there remove her tumor and um, and he did a masterful job Susan really uh, struggled with that, though. She, they usually keep you in the hospital two or three days afterwards. She was there for 11 or 12 days uh, in the hospital at MD Anderson, and then she developed blood clots, and so, that, so we had to stay longer, and then she had to have gamma knife radiation treatment, and so we had to stay longer. And we ended up spending about seven weeks and um, in the cancer that she had, uh, they told us was terminal cancer. Now, when Susan and I began to realize what we were dealing with there, with terminal brain tumor, and and we had adopted this thing from some friends of ours that uh, used to see news, and whatever the news was, it could be good or bad news. It's just news, and to God. And so it could look like bad news and be good news. And it could look like good news and not be so good. So we just decided when they tell us, well, this is terminal and it's going to take your life. And we were told by several oncologists that we'd say, okay, well, in a natural round, that's that's the way it is. But we have a supernatural God and um, he'll make a way for us and we'll trust him for that. But at the same time, we had also heard from a good friend who was counseling a buddy that had cancer, and I overheard him on a phone call, Jerry Leachman, my other lifelong best friend. Um, and Jerry was counseling a friend, that a guy in his ministry, and he said, well, look, you know, uh, this could be the worst thing that ever happened to you, or it could be your finest hour. Mm. And so Susan and I talked about that, and we said, let's let this be our finest hour. God's in control here. God knows what he's doing. You don't, you, have, you don't have accidental brain tumors. God allows those kind of things to happen. Now, Susan and I had done in our planning, we'd planned, which the odds makers always say, the man's going to die first. And so we'd planned all our insurance plans and financial plans and other plans and me never knowing how to cook plan um, it, for me to go first. And um, so we were thinking, and everybody was thinking, Susan has always been in great health. And, and, um, and we, were, we just went on a journey together at that point. And um, we knew that God was in control, and we just had to let this. I remember Susan being rolled into surgery in her brain when they took the tumor out of her brain, and I was just thinking, God, I want to go with her. 
And he says, I'm with her. You don't have to worry about it. I'm taking care of this. And in uh, the in the surgeon was the best embedded t brain tumor surgeon in the world and the best medical brain suite in the world with all the highest technology you can have. And he did a masterful job. Uh, all the doctors and oncologists that looked at her MRIs after that, <clears throat> you know, would all say, whoever took this brain tumor out knew what he was doing because it was amazing. And um, so we went on that journey together and... Um, I was I was just a uh, loving being her caregiver. Susan and I had a forty nine and nine tenths um, uh, long marriage of years. We she died about six weeks before our fiftieth anniversary, and um, so we had had a what I call a love affair. I said we were married forty nine years and only forty nine were happy. <laughs> And because um, there's a joke that goes around and, you know, only 10 were happy. And, and that's not our experience. We we um, we had a wonderful marriage. And so I'm looking as I'm looking at this whole thing now, I'm looking back at what I had. I was married to an amazing woman for 49, right at 50 years. And um, and I look at that rather than what I'm not, what I don't have now. And and uh, and I realized I asked Susan one time. Susan was so ready to go and be with the Lord, um, and we chose. She chose, and we agreed together. Uh, when they came right down to it, and cancer had spread all over her brain, uh, it was everywhere, and uh, on the, the MRI, and it was so sudden that it had spread like that. I think it was probably set off by a spinal tap that they that she had, but. We don't know that for sure. And um, so when they gave us two options, we found ourselves in a in a in a oncologist's office who dealt with these kinds of tumors a lot. And she says, well, how aggressively do you want to treat this? And we said, well, what does that mean? And she said, well, um, you got two options. We could go in and... Um, admit Susan to the hospital today and tomorrow morning I can drill a hole in her top of her head and we'll just every every, every other week we'll we'll have five sessions of pouring chemo into that hole and we knew that wasn't where we were headed that wasn't going to happen I said what's our other option and she said well we can do nothing and you could just have no treatment at all I said, well, if we if we did the chemo thing, how long would she have? And she said, well, there's no way of knowing. It could not help at all, or she might. In rare occasions, we've seen people live a year or two. Um, so she said, but I need to know right now. And so I'm going to leave the room. And my oldest son, Chris, was with us at this, this appointment. And so we were sitting there in the room trying to decide, you know, we're going to do nothing, or we're going to just let the Lord... Uh, either way, it would be trust in the Lord, but or just let the Lord take her when when He wanted her. And so she said, after we discussed this, while well, I'm not going to have any further treatment. And you know, there was there was an uncanny supernatural peace that came over all three of us at that point in time. We knew that was what the Lord was was saying. Um, and so. Um, for the next, she died about three weeks later, and the doctor said she might have two months. Uh, but those things, no one can ever be that accurate in calling those things. 
we're just I'm just really thankful for so many things because Susan had three weeks with uh, our son and his family from Scotland and with her our son in, in uh, LA and my daughter lives here and and they all had a chance to be with her for three for those three weeks uh, we had friends coming in and I remember Sally Fleming and Holly Leachman were the last two that Susan was holding on to say goodbye to because and Susan was a woman that died without regrets you know I've told people before, you know, in 55 years of, of dating and marrying and living with her, I don't think Susan's ever had one enemy. I can't think of any one other person uh, in her family or in her friendships that she's had over the years and all the women she's had been friends with. I cannot think of one enemy she ever had, except me on occasion, I guess. <laughs> she might have seen me as an, <laughs> as an enemy here and there. Um, but all in all, I've just never, she never, she never had regrets. It wasn't like she had to see someone to reconcile <clears throat> some relationship before she died. Um, it, that just wasn't the case. And, and as unusual as that is, I think, that was her testimony and her walk with God and the person that she was. So we had three weeks of, they, they gave us about 11 days before she died, they gave us a, a 50th anniversary party. And that was just supernatural. It was amazing time. And we had about 50 of our close family and friends. And and God just was so gracious. And, and he gave her the strength to be able to go through it because I didn't think she'd be able to, to, to go through a day of that. And she'd probably have to come home. And six hours, she was just like she wasn't even sick. And just talking with people and interacting with people and just having a wonderful time. And but that really took a lot out of her. I don't think she recovered from that um, physically. But it was just an amazing journey, quite honestly. And, you know, it was amazing because we knew and we found our comfort in the fact that we have a sovereign God. And God's in control of all things. And if all of the things that we said we believed was true, if we would just trust God. And I learned... Um, in the father's waiting room 39 years ago, Susan was pregnant with our second, what would be our second son. And um, she developed some problems uh, in the labor room and the, the baby was losing ox oxygen and blood. And you know, they told me to get out of there. They had to <clears throat> prepare her for emergency C-section. And, um, and so I did, and I left, and I went out in the father's waiting room, and I slipped into a closet. There wasn't anybody in the, there, but I slipped into a closet, and I just got on my knees, and I just said, God, I just pray Susan will be okay, and the baby will be okay, and pray Susan will be okay, and the baby will be okay. And I was in there 10 or 15 minutes, and I got out, and I was walking back and forth, praying the same thing. And finally, I just said, God, I'm sorry. That's all I got. I, I can't think of anything else to pray. He says, well, let me ask you a question. He said, um, how much control do you have over what's going on in there with Susan and the baby? And I said, Lord, I have no control. Uh, but you're a sovereign God, the creator of all things. You created us. You know everything. You're in control. So I'm asking you that Susan and the baby will be okay. And he says, okay, since I'm the sovereign God and I'm totally in control, i got another question to ask. Would you purpose in your heart to praise me no matter what happens to Susan and the baby? And I thought, I said, you mean if they die, would I praise you? And he didn't say anything to that because I knew the answer to that question. 
I had to determine right then and there if, if everything I said I believed was really true about God. My whole con I tell guys today, you're, you're, the most important thing about you is your concept of who God is. Because that's going to determine all the choices and decisions that you make in life. Because we'll all have tough decisions. We'll find ourselves in rooms with oncologists that say, you know, we'll, we'll make you as comfortable as we can. We'll extend your life as long as we can through chemo or whatever we do. But this cancer will take your life. And you've got to make a choice if you want further treatment or not, or if you want to just let it go. Uh, those are very difficult places to be in life. But that's those kind of places that we find ourselves sometimes. And my concept of God and our concept of God at that time was we believe that God may not have chosen that this happened, but he's allowed it. And if he's allowed it, that means he's in control of it. And if he's in control of it, then all is well. And when she went into that operating room and I just said, God, I want to go with her, he says, I'm with her. I'll take care of her. You can be at rest. And he did, and he always will. In this case, I was just thinking, is God really good? Is God good all the time? Does he really work everything together? Does he have a good plan for my life and Susan's life? And can we trust, can I trust God with my wife and my baby's life? Can I put them in his hands and walk away and say, God, whatever you do, live or die, I'm going to praise you? And that was kind of a, a big question. But I came to the conclusion that my God is who, who he said he is, and my God is good, and my God works everything together for good. The question was, do I want his will or my will? Do I want his plan or my plan? Now, I'd learned through the, at that point, I was still a pretty young guy. in my early 30s, and I was a missionary for a couple of years, and kind of wet behind the ears in a lot of ways. But God wondered if he could trust me with that. It's, that makes sense to me. God just said, for his testimony, can I trust you with losing your baby? Which is what happened. And, you know, the doctor came out 30 minutes later after I told God, God, I'm, I'm going to purpose to praise you. I don't care what. Because you're the sovereign God and you know what's best for us. We don't know what's best for us. But we want to do whatever is a, requires the greatest amount of our faith. And whatever will glorify you. There comes a point in time as Christians where we have to decide what are we living for. And Paul in Romans uh, 1, 1, 1, he said, The apostle Paul, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, set apart for the gospel. What does my life count for? If my life is counting for me, if it's all about me, if it's all about my happiness and my comfort, that's one thing. But if it's about glorifying God, if it's about bringing, being the salt of the earth and the light of the world that reflects who my God is, and if I'm on a mission and a great commission to, to glorify him, then that's going to change everything. And for us, it changed everything. So we decided that, I decided that if God, and God did, he took our, our little boy and Susan's with him right now in heaven. Hmm. Um, and I know one of the first things after she was hugging Jesus and I remember during those thir those days after we decided not to have any treatment, Susan and I were alone early morning out on the back patio, and she said, well, I'm really disappointed this morning. And I said, why? And she says, well, I thought I'd wake up this morning in Jesus' arms, and here I am sitting here with you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I said, well, I'll try to not take that personal, but I have no competition. <laughs> My arms are no competition for his arms. 
and uh, she was she was really ready to go. But you know, we just decided this would be our finest hour, and we'd let we were we were just going to go through this thing, and whatever we God did, we were going to have a grateful heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, I miss Susan like crazy. I mean, every day. I told her one time, I said, you know, if God, if, when we were early into this thing, and I said, if God takes your life and you go to heaven, I said, you ain't going to miss me at all. I'm going to miss you every day. This doesn't seem fair. <laughs> um, and I do miss her every day. But, uh, but God's grace is sufficient. He who brought you to it will see you through it. And that's really true. And all these scriptures, they're really true. You can have peace that surpasses all comprehension. You can have hope in the future of seeing each other again and having a great reunion. You can keep going and trying to be faithful here because there's still work to do and there's still a plan to be worked out and a message to be shared that, that about a great Savior and a great God that we have. Yeah. And that's what we've, we've learned and that's what we learned going through this thing. And, and she she never complained. She never cried. She never, you know, they said, you have a brain tumor. She never wept. The only time Susan ever cried going through this thing was when I said, Susan, the, the night before or the morning before her surgery in Houston, uh, some of our friends had started getting together and they got the word out, we're going to pray for Susan's surgery tomorrow. 200 people showed up to pray for her. And I told her, I said, honey, last night 200 people showed up for prayer mm. just to pray for you today. And she started weeping. Mm. And um, and But at the same time, she had gotten up, she had gotten dressed, she felt chipper that morning. and and um, and I just said, honey, I'm so proud of you. You know, David ran to the battle line when he was facing Goliath, and I just see you run into the battle line. She says, I'm not running. She says, I'm being carried. Mm-hmm. And she was being carried. There's so many people that prayed for Susan, and I mean hundreds, if not thousands, of people that prayed. I mean, there was thirteen to 15,000 visits to Caring Bridge to just see how she was doing and follow her, her journey in this thing on Caring Bridge. And... Um, so we um, we just saw God's hand in the whole thing, and it was God's plan. So the question is, what do you do when God says no? Mm. You know, when Jesus was in Gethsemane, and if he could tell his own son no three times, that had to be tough on a dad. Then he could certainly tell me no. Or if he took, if he gave his own son, why couldn't he take my son? Is, am, am, can I not travel the same road? Is he not? Can he not help himself to our lives? Because we have found, uh, Brian, that ministry, and Oswald Chambers said this, that ministry is creating an environment where the Holy Spirit is welcome to come and help himself to our lives. Mm-hmm. So the point is, could he help himself to my wife? Could he help himself to my child? If that would bring glory to him and it fit in his purpose in the world to redeem the world to himself and I get to be a part of that, does that also mean that he can help himself to to my life, to my wife, to my children? And Jesus kind of set us up for that in Luke 14 when he says, if you don't hate your mother and your father and your brother and your sister, your children, your wife, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. I don't like the idea of not being his disciple. Mm-hmm. So, if, so you know, we know what he was talking about. They said, you're going to have to love me preeminently. And I've told in marriage classes, I would say, every marriage class I ever taught, I would say this, and it came back to haunt me. Every loving relationship will end in pain. Mm-hmm. 
except one. And that's the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. You can take my wife, you can take my son, you can take my health, you can take my life, but you cannot separate my loving relationship. You cannot separate me from Jesus Christ. Paul said that in Romans. He says, what will separate us? Shall death or famine or sickness or flood or fire? No, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. But you can separate me from my wife. You can, and so I, 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 quite honestly, I struggled a little bit after that about making an idol out of her because I loved her so much and I miss her so much. Um, and the Lord and I went around and around about that a little bit and, and I, I worked through that. Um, I, but I didn't love her too much. I loved her enough. And, um, and I got to love a woman until death. And I got to love a woman that had no regrets. I got to love a woman that I'm sitting here looking at a little card she gave me. Um, why don't you hand me that little heart thing right there in, in the frame there? Yeah. And if I may, I'm just going to share this because I found this in one of her drawers after after she died and she saved a lot of these kind of things. But she said, the character qualities of my shepherd Loving, kind, good, patient, caring, tender, sacrificial, understanding, gentle, watchful, generous, affectionate, attentive, honest, dependable, consistent, reliable. And I'm thinking reading through this that, man, Jesus is all this. And faithful, protective, and forgiving. Because of you, Pete, now about dropped the... Th this frame right here when a friend of mine found this in her Bible and gave it to me. Because of you, Pete, I experienced security and health and an environment to flourish. Thank you for being my shepherd. Mm. I tell you, um, that was amazing for me to, to me to read and that Susan would write something like that. Um, but that was just the Lord teaching me how to love his little girl. Mm. And that my, I, t I always told God, I said, God, there's, I know I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I'll make some bad choices and I'll have to suffer the consequences. But there's two things I don't want to mess up. And I don't want to mess up my relationship with you. I want to love you with all my heart and mind and soul. I just don't want any other competition coming in for my heart in loving you. And the, and the other thing I ask you is that I love Susan the same way that I'd lay my life down for her as you laid your life down for me, that I'd love her with all my heart and mind and soul, that, that when she walks in the room, my heart would just leap. When I hear her on the phone, you know, it would be the soothe my soul. And, um, and God did that. You know, I, I admit it, I can't love her the way she needs to be loved, but if she was married to you, she'd be married to the best husband in the world. Why don't you just take me? Here I am. I'm available. Love her through me. And God did. And God taught me how to do that. So it's been a it's been the the trial of our lives on one hand, um, but it's been the finest experience that we've ever got to experience together. On the other hand, mm. and you know, so I'm living as a bachelor today, and my refrigerator's kind of empty, and <laughs> I got a house cleaner that comes in and cleans. Susan, I didn't realize how much she did. Um, every every plate on the wall, every picture on the wall, every doodad on the counters, everything in the cabinets was her deal. She was so domestic and so good at it. And um, I'm learning uh, to to be that. But 
I know I'll see her again. I know that there's a great reunion that we'll have one day and as we gather there with our children and our grandchildren. And Susan had all of her grandchildren and her children around her bed when she died, when she took her last breath. And you've never heard, the hospice nurse said, I've never heard the kind of weeping and, and crying when someone died like you guys. Mm. Well, it was such a great loss. I mean, she, my grandchildren run over me to get to her. Mm. I wasn't any competition, didn't try to be, and, and didn't bother me that I couldn't. But she just had such a way with her children and her grandchildren. And her friends were the same way. They, they're grieving like they've never grieved before. But God has been was so good to us the whole time, and I treasure all the intimate moments. So seven weeks in at MD Anderson, and and all, all the even with the blood clots and the gamma knife and the surgery and the everything that that happened there, those were precious moments for us together with the Lord. And um, so that's my story. Mm, mm. Well, Pete, thank you so much for for sharing that. I know, I know. People are going to be touched by that, and there's there's definitely somebody out there who needed to hear this today. I know that for sure. So thank you for uh, <clears throat> letting a tough story and be a glory story. You know, so thank you, Pete. Appreciate that. And well, thank you for listening out there. Uh, this is the Influencers Network podcast, and uh, we hope you've been touched today and blessed today. And and uh, we are here to to help you. So. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can go to the website, influencers.org, and uh, send us a message or a note, uh, and we'd love to help you find an intimate, abiding relationship with Christ, because as you can tell, that's that's what makes all the difference, uh, no matter what's going on in life. So uh, bless you out there, and uh, I, this is Brian Craig, and I'm the Executive Director for Influencers Global Ministries, and I'm going to keep encouraging you to abide in Christ and to go make disciples. God bless you.